Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 62nd episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal this week, the goal every week, is to be worth your time. This week we're going to do that with questions about the Royals, college sports, the Chiefs, and something you won't admit that you do. Uh, The bonus segment is different this week. I think I mentioned on here before, uh, I'm looking to mix it up a little bit, particularly in these, you know, kind of slower weeks before football starts. I just talked to some interesting people from Kansas City doing interesting things um, that may or may not have anything to do with sports. Uh, First up is Samantha Fish, one of my favorite musicians from Kansas City. She'll be playing the Missouri Wine and Jazz Festival at the World War I Museum on July 31st and was nice enough to spend a few minutes talking about what it was like for a musician through the lockdown, pet peeves, and Kansas City. But guys, we're going to start off a little bit different than usual this week, and you've probably heard me say that sports are the least important thing in life until the moment they're the most important thing. And that line usually shows itself in the big stuff, right? The important stuff, the like forever memories that we have with our dads or moms or friends or strangers, you know, when Alex Gordon goes yard off Familia or Patrick Mahomes goes deep on third and 15 or whatever. And I never want to diminish the real and amazing things that sports give us in those moments, you know, like, I mean, just like seeing the drama of like Bakayo Saka over a penalty kick with the weight of a continent on his shoulders. You know what I mean? Like just almost like stupefying ability of Otani or, you know, Giannis going hard to the rim or Chris Paul still getting it done all these years later, you know, um, you know, not to mention the stuff that sports teach us about ourselves, right? Like, um, and look, I, I, I never want to feel like I'm using my like kids as content. So like, I'll just put it this way that every once in a while, you can see these examples where sports, like any sport, can quarter, like help give a kid confidence or like a sense of place, um, a new way to see the world. And I absolutely know that's what happened with me as a kid. And, and I think it's one of the most important things that, that sports can do for us. So, but, you know, usually that's where that line comes from, you know, that, that, that sports are, are completely irrelevant right until they're the only thing that matters. You know, it comes after some someone just did something amazing or sports make that crossover and give us something to believe in or teach us something or show us something about ourselves. But you know what? <laughs> uh, right now it's the middle of July. And this week I'm thinking about that line because of the other stuff about sports being really like the least important thing in the world. And, and this isn't a commentary on anything happening like in, in, in Haiti or with the economy or the Delta variant or anything else. Because what I'm talking about here is <laughs> Travis Kelsey, 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 Travis Kelsey plain trolling, like getting people to think that his last name is actually pronounced Kels after all these years. It is patently ridiculous, right? And and even going through the reasons it's ridiculous might give it a crumb of credibility, which is one crumb too many. But Travis Kelsey, Kelsey has been in the NFL for eight years. His older brother, two years before that. And both guys play D1 football and have pronounced their names for TV broadcasts and team PR people and countless other opportunities. And they've always said, Kelsey, Kelsey. But now there's this like five second clip where he says like Kels on some interview and he gets a few teammates to play along. And I'm just saying this has a very strong like Kyrie Irving, the world is flat vibe to it. You know what I mean? Like this became like a weird thing this week in the way that we tend to do online to the point that like Jason Kelsey, 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 Jason Kelsey, who is Travis Kelsey's 
brother went on to explain like they've got like some distant relatives on another side of the family who pronounce it Kels, but that he and his family have said Kelsey their whole lives. And I genuinely can't believe that we spent this much time to make sure something we already knew was true, right? Like, would you care? And this is actually true, by the way, but would you care that I pronounce it Mellinger and that there's some people in my family that say Mellinger? Like, does that matter? Of course not. Of course course not uh <laughs> like <laughs> this is travis kelsey like here's what happened this week all right um this is travis kelsey got bored and you know the tahoe thing is over and camp is still a month or so out and there's only so much call of duty or whatever to play only so much time uh you know in a day taken up by workouts only so many times you can rewatch the super bowl win over the 49ers so I'm like sure why not let's like start this little thing and and laugh about it i told you at the top that we're starting this thing differently and we are and here's another difference between this top and the 61 other that that have come before it Guys, this is the first time that I've ever been halfway through a point and completely changed my mind. For real. Like, I came here to point out the absurdity of all this, uh, waste of time, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, but like, <laughs> thinking about the alternative, like, please, let's do more of this. Let's do more of the absurdity. Because, like, no offense. But 99% of the time, I don't need your online outrage. And 100% of the time, I don't need your politics online. And like social media should be fun, right? Um, just like sports. It should not be depressing. It should be more of a party than a lecture. And I don't know how this happened, a 180, but I'm completely on board with creating these ridiculous and inconsequential debates online. Um, we should be doing more of this, like more, way more of it. I want... Salvador Perez saying that, you know, doctors actually decided to remove the UCL from his elbow a few years ago, you know, not just repair it and credit that the lack of a ligament to his hitting success. I want Andy Reid detailing the best way to make a steak or cheeseburgers. I want like Patrick Mahomes saying he picks like one random week every regular season to totally blow off practice. I want Whit Merrifield saying he's actually fed up with the Royals selling jerseys with his number and Mahomes' name on the back. And sure. You know what, Andy? I, I, I want Andy Reid to say that his first name is actually pronounced Bob. If you think about it, he actually does look like a Bob. So anyway, uh, sports give us a lot. And those of us who love sports can do it for a lot of different reasons, like each of them personal. But and, and I can explain this. So stay with me. Uh, this makes me think of my wife. <laughs> like I said, please stay with me. Um, when I got this job, the job I have now, sports columnist, Kansas City Star, I was terrified. Um, I was young, uh, probably not ready for the job, if I'm honest, and was like sort of like secretly, this is not, <laughs> just sometimes I feel like, I, am I too honest with you guys? But this is just the truth. Like I was kind of embarrassed that in a span of a few months, the readers of the Kansas City Star went from Joe Poznanski and Jason Whitlock as their sports columnist to just my dumb self. Like that happened in like six weeks or something like that. And I tried to make up for that like with every word I wrote and it was a little like torture. And I'll never forget this, but one day somehow um, my wife and I, we got started talking about my work and she was my girlfriend at the time, but whatever. Anyway, she said that like reading my stuff, it didn't really feel like knowing me. It didn't, it didn't like read like me. It didn't sound like I sound. And she said it better than that, but it was basically that like I was sort of trying to be something I'm not, 
you know, she's like, sports are supposed to be fun, she said, you know, like, and the message was basically like, don't take yourself so seriously. And I've had a lot of great editors over the years, um, but that is, uh, honestly, it's the best writing advice that I ever got. Like, sports are supposed to be fun, and it's okay to embrace that. And look, I'm not here to say, you know, whether I'm good at the job or not, but like, I've just never forgotten that. And, and I keep it in mind always, sports supposed to be fun. There's a time, you know, to argue about the shift in baseball or like how much is too much cover zero or, you know, this guy's got to be fired or that guy's got to be benched or, you know, whatever, where leagues and teams should draw the line with player behavior, whatever. Like we can have those discussions, but like none of that is why any of us started to like sports. You know what I mean? Like we started like sports because they're fun and because sometimes we can kill a few hours like laughing at people thinking they've been mispronouncing a name when we all know better. So I don't know, guys. Uh, All that said, man, um, when the Royals are bad, training can't get here soon enough. You know what I mean? So. All right, guys. Um, Okay, look, before we get on to the rest of the show. Uh, the early spiel is gone because this one is longer because now I'm going to make my three asks. As always, we're still friends if you only do two of them, one of them, or even zero. Um, but here here I am asking. The first, uh, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Uh, dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Uh, just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send the link to you. Uh, the second, please rate and review us. Um, Savannah and I really appreciate the love you've given us already. Um, and I see you. I thank you. Uh, we see all the five star ratings you've given us already, but, uh, I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, if you haven't already given us a rating and review, please do it. Um, really helps us get the word out five stars only, please. Um, all right. Third thing I'm going to ask if you want to participate in next week's show, uh, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365, or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. All right, guys, uh, I know I'm asking a lot here, but that's how it's going to be. Subscribe to the Sports Pass. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review and call in with questions. Um, okay, that's it. Quick break, and then we are back with uh, with four questions. All right, guys. Hey, Sam. This is Mark from Overland Park. So my feeling is with the Royals is do we really want to bring any more of our young talent up this season, especially the so-called stars, the Duck and Prado or Witt or anybody else, and put them in this environment, this no fund losing sad sack environment and ruin their I don't know, hopes, dreams, whatever, um, experience. I don't know. It just seems I'd rather just start all fresh next year with a whole bunch of rookies and call ups and stuff like that and put them into this situation because this is just plain ugly. <clears throat> so thanks. Bye. So uh, this might be the saddest question we've ever had on this show. Um, I mean, 
dang, like, <laughs> this is sort of like, why get out of bed, you know, if you're just going to stub your toe kind of energy. Um, and you guys, like, I get it. You know, um, I, I don't think anyone expected this team in the playoffs before the season, but I think a lot of us expected them to have a chance, you know, to be competitive at least. And it's just been really bad. Um, I would tell you that the Royals, and, and, and they're not unique here. This is something everybody does. But uh, the Royals put a lot of thought into how guys are transitioned up. You know, like with starting pitchers, they'll look at a, a week or 10-day window and see if they can find the best matchup, you know, to get some, get a guy some success. With hitters, you know, maybe they're looking for a left-handed starter or, you know, a ballpark that fits the swing. Maybe they're waiting for a guy to have like a particularly good two- or three-day stretch in the minor leagues to get up to the bigs, you know, with some confidence, stuff like that. Doesn't always work out that way. Um, you know, I don't know why this sticks in my mind. I can't remember the specifics, why it happened this way. But Eric Hosmer's first game up was against Gio Gonzalez, um, a left-hander who at the time was having a really good stretch. Uh, that's probably less than ideal. You know what I mean? Uh, but Hosmer was ready. I think he was hitting like 430 or something in the minor leagues. Um, you know, he walked in his first plate appearance. So, you know, maybe it didn't matter. So anyway, um, you know, what you're saying here is something that they do have to consider, I think. And if the Royals get into, you know, like a six or seven or eight or whatever game losing streak, um, you know, th that's not when you call up Bobby Witt Jr. or whatever. And for a lot of reasons, not just what you're talking about, but, you know, there has to be a protection against the notion that anyone, fans, sure, but like more importantly, guys in that clubhouse, uh, just a protection that any, any anyone sees a signal that some minor leaguer is going to come in and be the fix. You know what I mean? So, look, the, the, the Royals probably spend more time and energy than most on culture building. It's been a central part of all their manager and coaching searches, a central part of, of who they decide, who and when they decide to sign the contract extensions. You know, it's kind of everything they do. Uh, so if the big league season keeps going like it has, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. would not be the first baseball player to make his major league debut on a bad team. You know what I mean? Like the, the Royals lost 93 games in Alex Gordon's first season. Uh, the Padres lost 92 games in Fernando Tatis Jr.'s first season. The Blue Jays lost 95 the year they de debuted Vlad Jr. So, you know, if we're just talking about environment, I think the important thing, you know, of what you talked about in the question, I think we can sort of generally shorthand as professionalism, right? And maybe you're going to roll your eyes about this. Uh, and, and I suppose I should do the caveat here where, you know, we know even less than usual these days because we're, we're not in the clubhouse. But um, I, I think the professionalism is pretty good on that team. Like, you know, Hunter Dozier stinks so far this year, right? Um, but nobody <laughs> would question, you know, whether he cares or whether he works. You know, I mean, I think that's actually part of what makes it more frustrating why his teammates and others around the club feel so badly for his struggles but anyway i'm getting off the point uh, back to your question like I, I don't think the record matters as much with these things as like the mood and besides i'd argue that it's good if you have a guy you think is going to help you in the future why not let him get a taste of the big leagues over a month or two you know like a, a sprint kind of thing without all the stuff that comes along with opening day um, you know, I also, and I know the standings are what the standings are, but I have a feeling we're going to be writing stories that reference the Royals record in the second half or, you know, over some five week stretch or the last two months or whatever as a point of potential optimism. Um, I, I really do believe that. So anyway, they, they got a lot of stuff that's broken. There's no question. Um, but that happens with every team trying to build its way up. You know, the difference is whether you can fix it. And part of fixing it is transitioning your most talented guys up from the minor league. So, um, okay, let's hit some college stuff. Sam, hey, this is Rob Nassar from Hendersonville, Tennessee. I uh, just listened to your podcast from uh, Friday and really well informed with uh, the interview with 
you did with Ramogi, one of the interesting aspects that I took away from that is that I live here in the south, southeast. College sports, especially college football, kind of rules, serves a drink versus growing up in Kansas City, and it's all about professional sports, at least the way I, my perspective is of, of everything. Uh, my friends down here that are wrapped up in their college allegiance are really just petrified of how this is going to shape and, and change the landscape of, of competitive football, uh, how their teams are not going to be able to fare against the, you know, uh, bigger teams that have deeper pockets and potentially more money to throw at these students. So I didn't know what your take, if you wanted to look 10 years down the road at, you know, how this could shake out, um, how right now there's obviously there's a blue bloods that are getting the four playoff spots every year, almost without even thinking about it. And if it gets expanded, how that might even be affected by, uh, college sports and, and overall football, uh, you know, competitiveness and K-States of the world, smaller t- t- teams get their shake, uh, their chances at the, uh, at the ring. Thank you very much. Enjoy your podcast. Thanks. So I think you should be very skeptical of anyone who thinks they know what college sports will look like in 10 years. <laughs> you know, um, nobody does. And, and that includes administrators. It includes athletes, coaches, everyone who's been pushing for NIL rights. Um, I actually think the competitive balance stuff won't be a big deal. You know, we already live in a world, like you mentioned, where, you know, Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and LSU can just sleepwalk into the playoff in a, in a lot of seasons. Um, you know, the best college basketball recruits, they already play at Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina and Kansas. The, the best football recruits, they already cluster to the SEC powers or Texas or Ohio State or whatever. And I, I'm just I, I'm not sure that could get much more out of balance, you know, and if anything, I'd argue that things could even out a bit. Nobody talks about this, but I really believe it's true. You know, maybe recruits prioritize playing time even more, you know, because if you have two or three years to play at Minnesota or whatever, you know, maybe that's a better earning window than one season at Georgia. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> there's car dealerships and banks and burger joints in Boise and Stillwater and Ames, right? So I, I'm more curious about what this does in, in two specific areas. Um, the, the first is like the so-called non-revenue sports, um, you know, because we, we spend a lot of time talking about how much, you know, the next Trevor Lawrence or Zion Williamson will make. Um, but there's an enormous and much less crowded market for, you know, like Paige Buckers and Trinity Thomas. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be overlooked that NIL, it's coming, at, it's coming about at a moment when companies more than ever are thinking and acting with equality in mind. And if you think about the value of college sports and who they speak to, it's mostly alums and families, right? And and most of those families have daughters. And I, I'm just curious if NIL helps push some of those young women, like basketball, softball, soccer, gymnastics, if it just helps push some of those women, you know, to much bigger profiles than they've had. Um, the other thing I'm curious about is if it has any impact on basketball players staying in school an extra year or two. And look, I've long advocated for a system where draft prospects could take out risk-free loans based on a combination of academic progress and long-term projected draft position. So you can change the numbers to go higher or lower if you want, that's not the point. But what if a guy who is projected to be a second round pick after his freshman year, but the NBA scouts are saying he could be a lottery pick after a sophomore year, what if that kid has the option of taking out a $50,000 or whatever loan if he stays in college? 
you know, the loan gets paid back. Uh, it's risk-free. The loan gets paid back on his first NBA contract. If he doesn't make the NBA, he doesn't have to pay it back. And it wouldn't make him rich, you know, but maybe it helps his parents pay their mortgage, you know, or maybe it just helps him have some of the stuff that someone with that sort of marketability should be able to afford. Uh, you know, wouldn't keep everyone in school. That's not the point. Uh, but it would change the decision making a bit. And, you know, if the kid still goes pro, like, cool, good luck. But if he stays in school another year, seems like everybody wins. Kid gets some money and hopefully a better draft position the next year, setting up a better pro uh, career. College basketball retains talent and the NBA gets a better and more marketable player a year later. I just (laughs) I think everybody wins with this. So anyway, that's my idea. But uh, anyway, here with NIL. Maybe it can have some of the same effect. You know, again, whatever money the local sandwich shop is handing out can't compare to an NBA contract, right? But if a little money to buy a car or clothes or help your parents, whatever, if that keeps you in college a year longer, I just, I think everybody wins. So anyway, that's the stuff that I'm thinking about with NIL. And and I'm really curious to see how that changes over the next few years. Um, Okay, let's do some Chiefs. Hey, Sam, my name is Colin and I'm calling in from Waxahachie, Texas but I grew up in Kansas City. Uh, So I was just calling to ask you uh, what your projected rankings, uh, regardless of position, for the Chiefs' new offensive line, and if you could project who makes the roster uh, at the start of the season. And I think it might be crazy because there's probably a couple players who started in the Super Bowl who might not even make our roster now because of the upgrades we've made. Uh, Love what you do. Love the content everywhere you make it. You're awesome at what you do. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, Colin, thank you. Um, that's cool of you to say first. Uh, I appreciate you. Okay, I, I know I've said this before, and I know it's not like a hot take or anything. I'm not really going out on a limb, but this will be the best offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has played behind. Uh, that is not a slight on Eric Fisher or Mitchell Schwartz, who are really good players and will be missed. It's just that this is a much more balanced group overall, stronger, you know, particularly in the middle. The Kyle Long injury is a bummer, um, but it's not a season ender. And part of the progress the Chiefs made across the line is not just with high-end guys like Orlando Brand and Joe Tooney, but it's with depth. And you asked about the starting group on week one. And, you know, before the injury, I think Long would have been part of this, I think. But I could see them going left to right, Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Lucas Niang. Um, there are a lot of moving parts in here and I'm taking some big swings and you never know, for instance, like how the chiefs would feel about having three guys right in a row who have never played in the NFL before. Right. Um, whatever it's worth, I would have had long at right tackle. Um, and Mike Remmers will have a real chance there, but I'm going with the higher ceiling of Niang and LDT is probably the starter on paper, but I'm thinking a little bit about the effect of being a year off and a little more about how he struggled in 2019 and a lot more about just some of the stuff I'm hearing about Trey Smith. And, you know, we've gone this far and haven't even mentioned Austin Blythe, who's been a full-time starter for the Rams the last three years. So, you know, this line is not a turnkey operation. Like, you can come up with legit doubts about everyone except Tooney. Um, you know, even Brown, because he hasn't played a full season at left tackle yet. And it's hard to think of two teams with blocking schemes and priorities more different than the Ravens and the Chiefs. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do there. And a real chance that it doesn't develop the way that a lot of people expect. But you guys, one thing I learned a long time ago is always believe in talent, you know, especially motivated talent. 
And that's what the Chiefs have in that group. So, okay, we got one more time. Or one question for time for one more question. Here's Duke, if I can talk. Go ahead, Duke. Hi, Sam. My name is Duke. I'm calling from Smithville. My question is, have you ever used the women's restroom when the men's restroom is full? Look, guys, anybody who says no to this question is either a liar or has lived their whole life and just not had to go bad enough. You know what I mean? That is it. And similarly, I will add, I have no time for anyone who says they've never used their girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever's deodorant when their own stick ran out. We all got to adapt, right? Um, Okay, guys, that's all the questions. One more quick break, and we are back with Samantha Fish. Okay, let's finish strong. And part of what I like to do with this podcast, as long as you guys tell me it's worth your time, is to highlight some cool people in Kansas City doing some cool things. Could be sports, could be something else entirely. And I just kind of want to find some people who are like part of what makes Kansas City, Kansas City, you know, and and just kind of let them shine a little. If you got somebody in mind, a teacher who went above and beyond, you know, a doctor, police officer, youth sports coach, artist, chef, whatever. Uh, let me know. Reach out on, on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever. Um, I just I'd love to sp- spread the light a little bit. The the first person we're going to do this with is is Samantha Fish, one of my favorite Kansas City musicians. She used to play a lot at Knuckleheads, uh, which is a great spot uh, to hear live music if you're into that sort of thing. She represents Kansas City strong now across the country and across the world. So anyway, she's back on tour, which is where we started the conversation because I I just think it's like so fascinating how some like people adapt, you know, and especially someone like. Samantha, whose entire professional life is literally about connecting with people in an intimate way in person, you know? So what the hell does somebody like that do with in-person connections are essentially dead for 14 months? So anyway, I asked her that and we'll start with her answer there and then just let the rest of the conversation go. Okay, here it is. Well, it's kind of a a shock to the system. I mean, I I know a lot of people were left unemployed from this whole thing, you know, not just musicians and career people but i will say that the music and entertainment industry was like devastated just because yeah. you know our job is to go and be in front of people and um and, and that's really <laughs> you can't do that so it's like now now i have to get creative and come up with you know other ways to, to like you know utilize my time and you know we we got creative with some things you know i mean i think streaming was was like a cool uh substitute in a way you know it's not the real thing obviously but you know everybody who's like really hardcore into music was pretty supportive of these streams um is you know in general throughout the music industry i only did a couple of them but um i mainly just focused on songwriting and channeling my energy into the next creative step because um, yeah. it's like okay if i can't if i can't go out there and perform i'm gonna like i'm gonna focus on um you know doing something different and transforming creatively with my art. You know, I, I've got an abundance of time to do that. So um, that's that's what I, where I spent most of my time. Yeah. Did, did you pick up any new habits or anything? Or were you still 100% music-focused? 
I mean, I tried to pick up new habits. Um, <laughs> right. I'm sure, like everybody else, you 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 bought a bunch of shit on Amazon. <laughs> like, right. Um, I did buy a sewing machine with the best of intentions, and yeah, that didn't take off. And <laughs> right. yeah, I started. I, I mean, I cooked a lot, which was really fun. I, I got really creative in the kitchen, which I think is like cooking is a hobby of mine because it's another creative outlet. You know, you can kind yeah. of, you know. Uh, it, 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 I think that kind of like satisfied that little muse there every once in a while. But, you know, I'm a pretty focused person when it comes to, to music. I've dedicated my life to it. Yeah. Um, and I, and so, I mean, that, that, that dedication didn't just stop, you know, due to the pandemic. So. Sure. Um, and, and now we're back, right? And like, um, your, your tour just started. I'm just like, can you compare it all? Maybe this is like a dumb like sports writer thing to ask, but like, can you compare what it feels like doing that now to you know like two summers ago when we didn't know what was coming? Like, it, does it feel the same? Does it feel different? Um, I think it does feel different. Um, I think everybody's a little different after this. I think we're all a little. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought you know it, I think everybody's just a little bit punchier now than they were yeah. two years ago. Um, but, you know, I think I, you know, I'm trying to be kind to myself and everybody. We've all been through something really, really crazy. Um, I think it's slowly getting back to the point. Like, we just played two shows the other night. Um, we played in Omaha and then the night before we played in Des Moines. And we played inside. And, you know, it's like with the new rules, like, it's just back to normal. People are in the mm-hmm. club, like, together, shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, I, I feel like there's an enthusiasm, like we've all been without for a long time. So yeah. I mean, I'm definitely feeling like that. That kind of energy is like palpable. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, it's it's like it's exciting in some ways, and then I also like I'm noticing slow growth in others. Um, it's definitely different though, and it's going to take time before it's the same if ever, if it ever is again. But I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I think people I think people's desire to go and do this is going to override any anything you know that might get in the way yeah what um what's the hardest part of what you do like some people i think are kind of built to perform but like so i could think of a hundred things that would be hard about what you do but is is there anything you struggle with um you know i i guess um you know there's like the the menial like you know you have to kind of commit to this routine i suppose um you know when you're touring you have to really prioritize self-care and, yeah. you know, just taking care of yourself so you don't get run down. You know, there's like an actual physical rundown that can happen if you, if you you know, not yeah. sleeping enough or, I don't know, even drinking enough water, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get completely run down and sick. Um, you know, there's other facets of, of this that, that are difficult, you know. Um, I think, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, Sometimes it's difficult to maintain friendships or relationships because you're constantly, yeah. you know, somewhere else. You miss a lot of things. It can be kind of isolating at times. But, you know, it's weird. It's weird that it can be isolating because your job is to bring people together. Um, yeah. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes you miss out on, like, the normal uh, family life, friendship things. Um, totally. But, um, you know, it's, it's the life I've chosen to live. And, you know, I'm... I, you know, even on my worst days, I'm comfortable with the decisions I've made and happy, happy to do what I do because it's what I'm, what I'm meant to do, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you have a favorite place, like a favorite venue that you've played, or does it just completely depend on the crowd and, like, the people that are there that night? Yeah, I mean, I sometimes you pull up to a place that's just absolutely gorgeous, and you're like, oh, this is, like, so beautiful and ambient. Like, when we go to Telluride, for instance, and you're playing through a bunch of mountains, that's, like, you know, just drafted gorgeous kind of a thing. Um, but I really think at the end of the day, it's all about the audience. You know, mm-hmm. we could be playing in a little juke joint, and if the audience is popping, then it's it's the best show ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love those kind of shows because they just have that energy. And, um, you know, I love playing at festivals um, because generally people are, like, really ready to have a good time when they go and commit to something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's all about the audience. I really think that. Is there a particular place, like, and I go back, I've seen you at, like, BB's and, um, you know, like, Grinders and all these places. Is there, is there a place in Kansas City in town that, that consistently gives you that? Um, you know, Knuckleheads has always been good to me over the years yeah. just because I, I grew up in those walls. Um, as a musician, I, I'd go and see people, um, like, when I was a teenager and, like, really I learned a lot just by attending shows there and like, seeing other guitar players and other bands come through and, I don't know. Oh, just, cool. uh, that was a formative place for me. So to get to be on stage and the, you know, that the roles kind of flipped, um, you know, that's always like a great experience. I think Crossroads has given me that feeling to just like, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in Kansas City, so I was going to shows when I was a teenager and it's like, God, if only mm-hmm. I could ever, if, I, if only I could ever do that. And then to be up there, it's like, you can't help but take stock of how far, you know, how far you've come on, on that journey. So totally. You know, I I definitely get um, in my feelings a little bit every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's good because I'm going to ask you a couple of, like Kansas City specific questions if I can. Sure. Um, and the first is like, and, and I come from a place of love here. Like I love Kansas City. My wife and I will probably be here forever and all that stuff. But like, it, is there anything that you could tell like that if if you could change something about Kansas City? Uh, and I'm trying to put you on the spot. Like, I'll, I'll go first, um, <laughs> if that makes it easier. Like, I, sure. um, like these days, like today, um, where it just feels like you have a wool blanket on you if you step outside. Um, <laughs> and then I also think, I don't know if you agree with this, but I've always thought that we have like a sort of like civic inferiority complex where we kind of like compare ourselves to other cities and kind of worry about what people oh, yeah. think about us. And anyway, um, do you have anything like that, <laughs> anything that you'd change? Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess I noticed that, but I've always, I don't know, the last couple of years, I feel like Kansas City has, has really come alive and, and people around the country, around the world are like, Kansas City, like it's a respected town. So mm-hmm. I think that civic thing, I, I hope I hope that's like dying off a little bit because, Me too. you know, I feel like the city's there to keep, it definitely represents well. Like, I mean, every time I tell somebody that's where I'm from, they're like, yeah, go Chiefs, you know, or go Royals. <laughs> right. Yay, we love barbecue. Um yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the softball one would be um, I would change the winter times because it's brittle and horrible, and I I can't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't do it anymore. I, I, I the cold thing kills me. Um, you know, I've never really thought about like on a deeper level what I would change about Kansas City. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of uh, um, infrastructure divide and classism and uh, like racial mm-hmm. divides in Kansas City that I think could definitely do better. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I guess yep. I guess I'd change that. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and what about the other side? What, what, what's your favorite thing about Kansas City? Um, well, it's got to be the people. They're so nice. They really are. I mean, you got to you go other places and and you realize just how nice everybody is in Kansas City and warm and welcoming and I mean, it really it the city is defined by the people. Yeah. It, and I mean, we got a lot of other good stuff. It's the city of fountains, this and that. But I mean, really, I think at the end of the day, it's the people that make it so special. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's like, and it, there seems to be like, I don't know if this is part of your point where you made a couple of answers ago, but like just a more, more creative energy around Kansas City. I think like in the last, I don't know, five years, seven years, something like that. But um, definitely, yeah. yeah. And I, so, I, I really think um, there's a lot of pride. You know, I think with that kind of sure. like love, that level of insecurity of like, you know, comparing to other places, I think it comes from a level of pride because it is such a great place. And it's like, it's like a kept, a well-kept secret that we know about. And you want to tell everybody, hey, this place rocks. Yeah. Um, but it's like maybe the whole world doesn't understand yet, but maybe that's a good thing, you know? Maybe it's a good <laughs> thing. That's a good, a well-kept yeah. secret. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, speaking of World Cup secrets, this is, uh, I think this will be the last thing I, I ask is, um, and again, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot, but like, I'm just curious, if, is there somewhere in Kansas City, um, you know, like a restaurant, a park, a shop, whatever, um, but like one place here that you love and you think not enough people know about? <laughs> um, oh God. Yeah, that's, Put me on the spot a little bit. Let me think. I might just name off yeah. a couple places I really like. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody knows about Arthur Bryan's. That's my favorite barbecue restaurant. Yeah. Um, I I love shopping at that Retro Vixen place when I come through town. She kills. It's like, yeah. so ladies, if you're looking for some retro duds, <laughs> she's got them. Um, gosh, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I like to I, – I love the smaller businesses. Um, but I have not. I've been gone for a while, so I'm, when I come home, it's like new things are popping up all the time. Okay. And it's like it's shocking to me. But um, you know, where did I go last night? I went to Mike Kelly's West Sider. I I love that place. It's like yeah. it has not changed in like ten years. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Right down the street. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, cool. I appreciate you. I know you got a lot going on and um, uh, right now, so I appreciate you taking all the time. Oh, of course. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for, thank you. Okay, guys, that's the show this week. Hope you enjoyed that. I know this is like, in theory, a sports podcast, um, but it's also a Kansas City podcast, you know, and, and I want to get some different voices in here. If you think that's cool and worth it and know somebody that we should reach out to and know about, please let me know, you know, where to find me. All right, I appreciate everybody, all of you guys for listening. I hope we're worth your time. Once more, please reach out to me if you can help support us with the Sports Pass and please subscribe, rate, and review. Look, thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Thanks to Samantha Fish for her time. Bigger thanks to Savannah Smith for putting all of this together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Let's do it again next week. Okay, guys, have a great weekend. Be kind.